0: Snuff Production. Hello, Tom Tilley here. If you think about it, there are so many things you can worry about in life—from the stuff right in front of you in your personal life to bigger things like your career, or even bigger things like war, or a pandemic, or climate change. But in this episode of the Briefing, we're going to
1: explain, thanks to some ancient Stoic philosophy, how not to worry. Our actions and reactions. And the third is how we treat others and that was kind of central to the philosophy and it still holds up today we can only control three things in life our character our actions and reactions and the third is how we treat others and that was kind of central to the philosophy and it still holds up today
0: so that's bridget delaney she's a writer and in the depths of the pandemic march 2020 um, she wasn't turning to tiger king or baking bread She was turning to the ancient Greek Stoics. Now, Stoic is a word that's often been used to describe Queen Elizabeth II. So in this episode, Stoicism and reasons not to worry. First, today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Tuesday, September 13.
2: The Queen's four children were reunited last night as they walked behind their mother's funeral cortege to St Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh. So King Charles,
0: Prince Andrew, Prince Edward and Princess Anne all walk behind the hearse carrying their mother as the procession made its way through the heart of Edinburgh. Uh, King Charles has now made his way to the Scottish Parliament to receive a motion of condolence and earlier, before he left London, he addressed the British Parliament at Westminster. Your traditions
2: are ancient. We see in the construction of this great hall and the reminders of medieval predecessors of the office to which I have been called. The Queen's coffin will be flown to London tomorrow morning, our time.
0: Yeah, and it's been interesting to see Prince Andrew step out into the public eye again. He hadn't been seen much uh, since the sexual assault allegations were made against him. And there was a a very awkward moment where a man wearing a Melbourne FC A-League hoodie heckled Prince Andrew and was thrown to the ground by other spectators and then arrested
2: and dragged away. yeah who was actually thrown to the ground pretty violently he got within uh, a couple of meters of the prince uh, so got pretty close to him mm. in the in the crowds there so as you mentioned tom prince andrew he hasn't been seen really in public he was stripped of senior royal status um back in january he was meant to do something during the recent platinum jubilee celebrations but then he got covid so um he's been lying pretty low but he has been given one very important Mm. job to do. Both him and his ex-wife Fergie are going to be the primary caretakers of the Queen's corgis. Um, Now, this is because in protocol, whoever gave you the corgis, apparently after your death, they then have to go back to Mm. return to sender. Uh, But uh, Fergie and Andrew still live together, even though they've been divorced for many, many years. They still live on the same estate and share a love of corgis along with the Queen.
0: Yeah, I guess it's a relatively important duty and probably the highest duty he'll be given for a long time, I imagine.
2: Prince Harry has paid tribute to his granny, the Queen, and her unwavering grace and dignity.
0: Yeah, so he's put out a written statement. He described her as a guiding compass and commended her commitment to service and duty. Um, The statement was just from him, but he mentioned Meghan when he talked about the first moment you met my darling wife and hugged your beloved great-grandchildren.
2: He also said, we now honour my father in his new role as King Charles III.
0: Yeah, this must be such a hard time for Harry. Um, The reports have said that he just missed the chance to say goodbye to his late grandmother. And then now he lives with all this sort of speculation and and micro analysis of body language in any public appearance that goes on, Mm. all whilst, you know, going through another very public grieving process and seeing him and William out there. Um, with their wives, looking at the bouquets, it reminded me of that other time at their mother's funeral many years ago when they also had to grieve in a very, very emotional public way.
2: To other news now and we have yet another vaccine for COVID. The Moderna vaccine specifically targets two coronavirus variants, the original strain and the Omicron strain that everyone caught back in Christmas or around New Year like I did.
0: Yeah, and have been catching all year. Um, Thankfully, case numbers have been going down. So the Health Minister, Mark Butler, said the government accepted a recommendation from ATAGI, um, the government's immunisation advisory group, um, to approve the jab. And it's the first time a multi-strain COVID vaccine, um, it's called the bivalent vaccine, um, has been approved for use in Australia. And we know that the neutralising antibodies with this vaccine are high, and protective against the common Omicron strains BA4 and BA5.
2: That's infectious diseases expert Professor Robert Boy on the ABC. It's already being rolled out in countries like Canada and the UK, and it will be available to everyone over the age of 18.
0: And a spotlight on Melissa Caddick's husband. So, a coroner's inquest um, into the disappearance of Melissa Caddick. She is the uh, woman who posed as a financial advisor and was accused of defrauding $23 million from her victims before disappearing from her Sydney home in 2020. And then, as we all know, one of her sneakers with her foot in it turned up down the coast. So there's an inquest into it, and it's heard that her partner, Anthony Coletti, replied to text messages pretending to be her, which led friends to believe she was alive and well.
2: Yeah, so an autopsy has so far been unable to determine how the alleged fraudster's foot became detached from her leg. An orthopaedic surgeon has told the inquest it was highly unlikely someone would be capable of cutting off their own foot.
0: So that rules out one theory that leaves so many others. Um, wide open. Do you think we'll ever solve this mystery?
2: It's it's impossible to know. I've become addicted to that podcast, Liar Liar. Mm. Um, I binged it and there's so many, you can't make this stuff up. There's so many twists and turns to this story. Um, so I'm going to be following this inquest very closely and it's um, still got another two more weeks to play out. So it's anyone's guess what's so- going to come to light. But it does um, have actually a an expert in tides, which talks about the likelihood of the foot mm. landing where it did on that remote stretch of coastline, um, particularly if, you know, one of the theories was that she took her own life at the Gap. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's insanely good listening. They've done such a good job of that podcast.
0: All right. We'll catch you again soon, Katrina. I'm about to go in deep on Stoicism. Bridget Delaney is a well known writer for The Guardian and now the author of three books, including uh, one of them, Well Mania, which is now being turned into a Netflix comedy series starring Celeste Barber. So that's pretty cool. Um, Her new book is called Reasons Not to Worry. So, Bridget, thank you for joining us and for the reasons you're about to give us not to worry. We all need that right now. So, the story starts in the dark days of the pandemic, March 2020. Why did you shun Tiger King and baking bread and turn to the ancient Greek
1: philosophers? I was just inhaling it in those early months and was really shocked how something so old actually sounded super fresh. I needed something and I realised that they'd worked it all out already. They'd been through what we are going through and they had basically set out a framework and guidelines to coping when times are really stressful and quite dark.
0: All right, so take us to the core principles of the Stoics.
1: So, look, the first Stoics were kind of around about 350 BC and it was when philosophy was very, very popular. So, there was like, you know, half a dozen different schools going on at the time, and each of them had their own kind of way of doing things, and the Stoic way, or central to it was this thing called the control test. And what that means is we can only control three things in life. Our character, our actions and reactions, and the third is how we treat others. And that was kind of central to the philosophy and it still holds up today and I use it pretty much five times a day.
0: And what's the point of working out, you know, which things fall into those categories and which don't?
1: So if there's something that's outside your control, say it might be falling in love. So you become infatuated with someone and you really want to be in a relationship with that person or you want to have sex with that person or whatever – that's outside your control because the other person has to reciprocate. If you put your happiness on that, if you say, I will only be happy if this person has a relationship with me, then you're placing your happiness on something you can't control. So you're liable or possibly liable to be very disappointed. So stoicism said, why not just be happy if you're the best version of yourself? If you are a good person that's acting with integrity that has kind of measured and proportionate responses to things, that treats other people well, that should be the thing that makes you happy because it's the only thing you can control. Say, for example, pay rises. So you can go for a pay rise, but that's outside your control whether you get one. But the way you you can try and control it or influence it by doing the best work you can possibly do. So if you go to your boss and say, I have worked to maximum capacity, this year, I have tried my hardest, I've made mistakes, but I've learned, and you still don't get the pay rise, you can be satisfied that you did all you could within the control that you had. Um, you may not get the result you want, but you're not looking back and saying, I actually could have done a better job. So the control test puts things back on you and and asks you, you know, have you done all you could do?
0: Stoicism, like that word in, in contemporary times has kind of a, a very different meaning. It feels like this now, outdated idea of just toughing things out and ignoring our vulnerabilities. So, how different is that, that modern understanding from what these guys were, were living?
1: It's really funny when I tell people I've been doing a book on stoicism, they say, oh, yes, my father was a stoic. He never <laughs> cried when, you know, at, you know, at my sister's funeral, He, I've never seen him smile. I've been hugged once. He's a real stoic. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's the right use of... You need to read my book. Yeah, you need to read my book. I mean, <laughs> stoics were full of love and, uh, you know, very joyful people. Uh, they certainly weren't about withholding or repressing. Um, so the word, you know, as many words have throughout history, you know, it has changed. But there is a capital S Stoicism, which is, is the Greek and Roman philosophy that I, I've written about. And what do they think about death? They think about death a lot. <laughs> um, they just think it's coming for all of us. Like you can have all the means in the world, you can have great technology, but you will die. And so they liked reminding themselves that they were mortal that everyone's mortal. Their children are mortal. Their best friends are mortal. Their enemies are mortal. And they reminded themselves, you know, each day, or they thought about it each day, to and that then allowed them to live in a much more fulsome way because if you realise that your time is up, are you going to waste it, you know, maybe having friendships that aren't, you know, fulfilling or in a job that's crushing your soul? Like the thoughts of death allow you to really – um go for the things in life that you want. And that ties into their technique called negative visualization. So tell us about that. I mean, say, for example, this podcast, I came in here thinking this is the first piece of media I'm doing for this book. It could also be the last because I might get hit on George Street on the way out of here. Yep. So make it, make it special You know, if it's the only one, (laughs) then uh, it's got to count. So you do that with every kind of encounter. Yeah. Not too much because it can make, uh, you know, it's made me very anxious when I focus too much on death. Yeah. But you just have a little taste of like, yeah, I'm going to pretend that this is the last of this particular kind of moment.
0: One of the interesting challenges you bring up in the book, and, you know, if you employ this this stoicism mentality, maybe too much is that you, you sort of think, well, I can't change this. I can't change that. And it stops you from being ambitious or hopeful from making the world a better place. Cause a lot of those things seem like they're out of your control, but actually if you did something revolutionary, maybe you could control them and affect change.
1: Absolutely. And that's the kind of central conundrum when I was like, writing this book was how do you marry sort of social justice and action mm. with stoic principles? Um, one of the four virtues in stoicism is justice. So it's something they thought about a lot and something that, you know, they cared about. But say if you're sitting around worrying about climate change Mm. and freaking out, which is, of course, very normal, it can be easy to feel overwhelmed. And so if you apply stoicism to what can I do about climate change, you can do a number of things. Um, For example, like voting in parties Mm. that support sort of reductions of emissions. You can take part in direct action or you can work in your local community or take individual action on your own emissions. Mm. So you can break things down to smaller actions, but it is one of those things where they say you can't take on everything because you're one person.
0: It's like, think about what you can do, but you do have to draw the line at some point.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the problems with modern life, I mean, definitely for me is just feeling overwhelmed with the amount of really hardcore stuff that's happening in the world right now. Like You know, I listen to the news and it's Ukraine, it's climate change, it's floods. The pandemic is still happening. I mean, there is a lot going on and it's easy to feel powerless. But stoicism does provide a map about where our power lies.
0: I actually don't think we're living in tough times. Mm. I think we're living in great times. You know, we've had like a billion people lifted out of poverty in in the last few decades. If you think back to the, the Spanish flu... That was a lot worse. Millions more people mm. died. That was coming out of the First World War, you know, mm. which is hectic. The Ukraine conflict is like a regional little battle mm. compared to these mm. world world wars, and I think that speaks to the information age where we're living in, where we're inundated with news, mm. which is all driven by our survival instincts. Is like, yeah. what are our threats? Yeah, and so it feels chaotic, mm. but. We kind of need frameworks like this potentially Mm. to decipher the noise.
1: Yeah. It sounds like you're a Stoic without probably realizing you're a Stoic. (laughs) So this is my new Bible. (laughs) This is, wow, you could have written that. You know, it sounds like you're living it. That's a very Stoic technique that you just described, which is working out like, it's kind of framing it like, okay, the pandemic's happened, but we have had a vaccine and we can control certain things that will make our lives less sort of risky and, you we're know, rich, yeah, and we're rich. Yeah, we're educated. rich and we're living longer. So the Stoics would have said a few things about life today. They would have said, you guys are pretty lucky, but they also would have said, you guys are pretty soft. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's why you know, Stoicism is having a comeback because there's this sense of of doom and gloom, of which, you know, I feel doomy and gloomy quite frequently because I work in a newsroom. I'm I have the onslaught of the news like a lot of people. But they would have said, hey, look at your life. It's pretty good. Yeah. And um, the stuff you're worried about, maybe it's not going to affect you, like you're not in the Ukraine. However, there's also a strong part, I think, of a lot of us that feel compassion for people in these terrible situations and so therefore get emotionally involved in mm. distant conflicts. That we can't control. That we can't control.
0: <laughs> they don't pass the control <laughs> test.
1: They don't. And look, th- this is why stoicism is interesting. You kind of have to keep reminding yourself of it. I mean, as you know from your book, it's like any religion. You are time and time again, you have to go back to the teachings. You have to go back to the scripture. And in the case of the Stoics, there were three kind of main writers that I I referred to in the book. And you have to keep going back to remind yourself that all this structure's there. People have thought about all this stuff in the past. They've written it down. It's been saved through the centuries. And if we can just plug into it, it can really help us get through whatever era we're living in.
0: So is this your new religion now?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's funny that Stoicism's a philosophy, you know, it's not a religion. But sort of towards the end of the book, I I had a, a real feeling that it was for me veering towards a kind of almost a spiritual belief. You know, it helped me in such dark times. It will help me, I think, you know, when people I love die or, you know, when something bad happens to me, like, you know, when I get sick or something, Stoicism will be the thing I reach for. It won't be Christianity, it'll be this. And it's also, it's infused with a love of nature and the natural world and sort of reverence for what makes us human and what makes the world special. So I think it goes beyond philosophy, definitely for me anyway.
0: So to come back to the title then, Reasons not to worry, to, to break it all down because our, our small brains can only keep probably about three things in them at once. What are the three bits of it that you're hanging on to that you're pulling yourself back to that give you reason not to worry?
1: Okay. So the control test. Yeah. So that will tell you immediately what you, you should and shouldn't worry about. You really should just worry about your character and how you treat people. Okay. Otherwise, don't worry. The second thing um, that's a real takeaway is ataraxia, which is the Greek word for tranquility. You know, try and be stable. Try and be chill. They were particularly strong in anger. They hated anger. So when I have that impulse to, you know, go a bit crazy, I remember ataraxia, chill out. And look, the third thing is remember you're going to die and just love and live your life. That love, awesome. laugh, live.
0: That was Bridget Delaney, Reasons Not to Worry, How to Be Stoic in Chaotic Times. That is her book. You can pre-order it right now and it comes out on September twenty. And you could probably tell that a lot of that resonated for me personally, although I do question that idea of always being tranquil. I mean, that feeling, that feeling excited is something to be wary of and moderated at all times. I find that a little cold or even a little boring. I think those, even if they're irrational, those flights of passion and euphoria are some of the best moments in life. I think you just need to understand that they won't last forever. And there's a limit to how much you can really tank from them beyond just the power of that feeling in the moment. Tomorrow on The Briefing, some things that you might not know about your new king.